Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the one, the only, the PDH pod, a Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and this time we're not going to go around the table as much as we're just going to go straight across it to my co-host from the East Coast, Dave the Alcadron Vader. How are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing very well. I'm in my nice uh, air-conditioned closet recording a podcast with you, so that's good. It's like the first of three consecutive 100-degree days outside, so it is boiling everywhere else. I had a really nice day outside today. It's like mid-70s, cloudy, overcast. Went for for a nice walk and came back not covered in sweat. It was pretty good. No, I can't even like walk to my truck and back without having to shower. It's terrible. But yeah, it's just you and I tonight. Liam is buried in schoolwork this week, but does send the regards that they couldn't be here. The show topic was was kind of his idea, but but we ran with it, so we're gonna we're gonna take it from him and wish he could yeah, be here. We'll I, miss him uh, though. I feel like in many ways Liam is a very good like foil to me, so we're gonna we're gonna see how this goes regarding that. <laughs> yep, I think I think we'll be good. He he got to do the collaboration mm-hmm. episode without it's you. Nice so. to see you. There's something. He's keeping score. Right there, you go. Or, or close to it. Yeah, anyway, tonight we're going to talk about basically the nuts and bolts of what makes a particular card playable in PDH as opposed to EDH, but more of like a grand a grand view. You know, and it's not like we're going to go through every card and pop or anything like that, but more more of a philosophy standpoint on what you're looking at in PDH as opposed to the big brother EDH. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think that's a really good way to, to put this. They, um, we, we talked a little bit about this um, this topic before we started, and for, for a minute I was like, the topic that you've stated could could mean lots of different things. How do I know that I'm interpreting this correctly? But uh, yeah, I like this. I'm ready. Yep, you filled out most of the show notes, and I think you pretty well nailed it on the head, at least for what I had in my mind. So I think we're just going to get right into it. If we're both uh, wrong, in general, uh, we can practice on the next episode. That's right. It's still yeah. two to one if we're wrong. So Sorry, I majority. Oh, that's okay. Uh, basically, cards in general, like PDH, obviously they are much less explosive than EDH. You know, we don't have, you know, turn one soul ring. We don't have mana crypts and that sort of thing to sort of get us to where we want to be as early as turn two, turn three sometimes. Right. The closest we have to like actual fast mana are cards like uh, Lotus Petal or Dark Ritual, which are actively bad in PDH for reasons I'll talk about in a minute. If you look at things like Soaring, which are like perfectly ubiquitous in EDH, like 99% of decks play Soaring. Like the closest thing we have to that is like mm-hmm. Arcane Signet Lady or Bondage Ornament. Like they're much slower in mana lots. Yeah. Uh, ornaments actually kind of a staple in, in both formats though, which is which is kind of neat. I believe that, yeah. I I don't think I've played an EDH since ornament came out, but I I I'm ready to believe that it is a staple in EDH. Yeah. <laughs> it got banned. In it Popper, shows up right? in enough precons though. Yeah, yeah, it sure did. That was um, yeah, that was a while ago too. It it um, it was painful at first, but we didn't miss it. <laughs> Tell me that you don't play Tron without saying you don't play Tron. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another thing that you'll notice right off the bat too, a lot of EDH players will notice right off the bat is like literally at common at the pauper level, we don't have wheels. 
you know, the, those are the sort of thing that mechanic or that gameplay style can drastically change hand sizes. It can change board states. And we just don't really have anything like that necessarily. Right. Which is a huge difference in PDH. Like, it, I, I mentioned, you know, Lotus Petal and Dark Ritual being pretty bad. Like, those cards are okay in the format where you have access to Wheel of Fortune and, like, other time twisters effects because you can spend these cards from your hand very freely and then just replenish your hand very easily. In PDH, you can never replenish right. your hand easily. If you're putting cards in your hand, you have to work for it. Yeah, you got to build your whole deck around yeah. it. Pretty I much. mean, there are decks that do it. Like Quasar keeps a full hand. Sir Eleanor keeps a full hand. Like there, it can be done. Yeah, yeah, it can't be done casually. So right, <laughs> every single card you have is a resource, and you cannot afford to like burn cards from your hand on an effect that's as weak as like a treasure token. So like Lotus Petal. Play. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to you know to put it. And in some corner case decks, sure, Lotus Petal can be played in Storm. It can do this and that if you care about affinity for some reason. But for the most part, it really is just a very pricey treasure token in our format. My treasure tokens aren't worth cards. Right, uh, and another thing too, like like the wheels sort of change. They dramatically change hand sizes and what's going on in everybody's game game state, sort of thing. We also don't have cards that amass huge board states. Like you put in the notes here, Rise of the Dark Realm. That <laughs> I think that's a perfect example. Like it's one card that will instantly change the game in your favor by yeah. a huge margin. You know, we don't really have anything like that. Even like sort of like with Lotus Petal, we have spells that'll get us one, maybe two creatures out of the graveyard or a bunch of creatures to our hand but then we still have to do the work to get them into play to actually affect exactly. the board state yeah. itself. If you are creating a board state in PDH, you, are, you have to be really invested in that plan. Like you, can, you can eventually come up with these, like, these board states where if someone walked by your game, you'd be like, oh, wow, did you just resolve a Rise of the Dark Realms? And it's like, no. <laughs> right. I spent the last four <laughs> turns putting every resource I had into creating this like, very slowly. Mm -hmm. but the decks that do that, can do that because they are designed entirely around that theme. They're very all-in and they're very dedicated. This is your, your Child of the Pack decks, you two guys of Guildmage decks. Uh, I was playing just this weekend against an iridescent form people deck that was it was pretty explosive, but it was it was explosive because the entire deck was designed around this one idea. Right. So like you have to be very dedicated. And you also have to be very dedicated to like turning that into a win. Like if you're making this massive board state of tokens, like Rise of the Dark Realms will get you, you know, whatever, I don't know, what they're even called, primordials. Like, it'll get you massive, huge, rare bombs out of other people's graveyards. Like, our cards yeah. that build up a board state are going to get you, like, 1 1 satellites or, like, 2 3 centaurs. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> they're not going to win you the game without all help. So, like, your deck also has to be dedicated to these, you know, like, righteous charge cards to just, like, give you a big anthem for the turn. Like, that's as close as we get to, what, what's it called, Crater Hook? Yeah, as close as we get to Crater Hook is yeah. you meet in a tavern, which is like, it's a great card for us. Yeah, which is plus two, yeah. plus two. So, <laughs> And that's like the only real green anthem we have. So, And then on the uh, flip side of amassing a huge board state, we don't really have ways to deal with huge board states, you know, other than like nausea effects, minus one, minus one, Fire Cannonade, Breath Weapon, that sort of thing. They are very effective because of the nature of Pauper, but we just don't have 
wraths as EDH players know them. Yeah, there's uh, there's no real wraths. There's no well, I mean, there's there's a couple. There's uh, there's very few wraths. There's uh, there's no there's no cyclonic rifts. Nothing right. in the same way that we don't have the rise of the dark realms that lets you just whoops a board state. Like we don't have any the cards that are like whoops the board state's gone. <laughs> there are a few that you know obviously deserve honorable mentions. If you have pestilence, you have crit rats. Uh, if you're brave, you can run squirrel and sandstorm. It doesn't always work there. Right. You right. Still have to work for that <laughs> yeah, as that's well. the thing. You have to work for it. <laughs> Those are like the only three cards that can very reliably reliable. Oh no, I guess Bloodfire and Fusion. Okay, yeah. Those are the only cards that can very reliably wipe a collection of three bucks. Mm-hmm. Like as you said, there's a there's a bunch of other smaller things. Your uh, fumes, nauseating something. Yeah, there's suffocating fumes, and then there's just straight up nausea. Uh-huh. Nausea, yeah. And the the, the ten and eight the breath weapon. Every card is justice. You just got uh, arms of Hadar. Like there's a there's a handful of options that would deal with two bucks. Right. There's very few that can handle three bucks, and they're all damage based. Yeah, so, they are all damage based. Yep. I so mean, look at pestilence. Or, yeah. I mean, pestilence is obviously probably the best one we have, but you also have to work to not die from it yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing <laughs> with all of this. You have to you have to work really hard to make these things work. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's no there's no easy shortcuts. There was um in the Discord a while back, uh, someone was compiling a they were trying to create a very comprehensive list of all of the board in the format and people kept on suggesting like well if you if you do an infinite combo and you get infinite mana then capsize is a board wipe it's like well okay i guess <laughs> like if you if you do an infinite combo and you cast infinite spells in one turn then temporal fissure is a blue board wipe it's like i feel like you're not understanding <laughs> what i want out of right, it well if you can make infinite creatures with sprout swarm then that's a combo yeah, right <laughs> like i guess technically you're not wrong but that's not like, I don't want to see that in a list of board wipes. Like, would I have to dedicate my entire yeah. deck around? That's not really the, the spirit yeah. of the question. Like, right. you could argue that that's a win condition, like a payoff for your infinite combo. <laughs> like, don't call it a board wipe. Like, you're not feeling anyone here. No. And even 100%. if it is a board wipe, like, you still have to work really hard. Yeah, you got to work really hard towards it and hope that there's no interaction, that there's no hiccups, that you play it all right, that you time yourself right with your spells yeah. and the stack and everything else. That, that's one reason I just don't typically play combos because i mess it up more than probably more than i actually went <laughs> yeah. with combos i'll get like three steps down the line and i'll be like oh i wasn't actually supposed to do that four cards ago so i guess i passed my <laughs> one turn. of the reasons i built busy guild mage and parcel beast as competitive decks is so that i can mess them up over and over and over again in an attempt to become a better player <laughs> and kind of like you mentioned you know people do get creative with our quote-unquote board wipes we have things like gangrenous zombies and crypt rats obviously like the the bodied version of pestilence uh blood fire dwarf these are all solid vessels if it, you know if you wanted to put death touch on them you know, add another layer or another card to it technically those are board wipes but they're a little easier to pull off so. in some decks in some scenarios they, they definitely that, like that's as close as we get to like a rapid deck it's like crypt rats with death touch y- yeah yeah Yep. yep, and it's so all in black as opposed to white. <laughs> I guess I guess it's just the dwarf. The Bloodfire yeah. dwarf and Bloodfire infusion are the red versions. But yeah, it's pretty much just in black. Gangrene is zombies, all the death parts, all things. Yeah, and then we have like, you know, Krark Clan Shaman, but that's oh! very conditional. Yeah. You know, it doesn't hit everything and everywhere. Yeah. I think I think the dwarf also doesn't hit flowers, but it might be wrong. It's been a while since I looked at that card. But re- regardless of what exactly these cards do, 
the, the, the overarching theme is still, you have to work really hard to get these effects. Like, yeah. if, if the goal of this podcast is to compare, you know, EDH card quality to PDH card quality, like, the, the main point we're trying to make in this section is just that, like, we don't have these auto-include staples that are just a single mm-hmm. card that does everything you want it to do all in a nice little package that doesn't require other investment or other, other cards to make it work right. Like, we, we don't have the cycles. We don't have the Rise of the Dark Realms. We, we barely have Rapid God. And it's like getting Rapid God is a lot of work. Which means, if we're going to be evaluating cards for PDH, you have to keep this in mind that what you're going for, the goal you want out of your deck, is something that you need to put a lot of effort into making sure that your deck is capable of doing. Right. Yep. It's not just, can I cast this one spell? It's like, can my deck handle pulling off this combination of cards in this order or in this magnitude exactly. of turns, basically? So, this has, this has big evaluation, big implications for evaluation. I, I may have gone off script here a little bit. We can edit this out. I think we're good. I think we're good. We're actually humming along yeah. pretty pretty nicely here. But yeah, all that said, commons are just basically they're they're less they're less big they're less splashy and obviously less explosive than the rares and mythics that wizards has been just seriously dumping out for the last for commander over the last 10 11 years something like that Uh, we just don't have like you said we don't have auto include staples we have you know if someone comes to you and says hey i want to build a deck that does this you know edh can just be like okay well here's two spell or here's a spell you can run it in this color here's a different spell for this color like in pdh if you say you want to do you want your deck to do x well we can give you 22 cards that'll work towards that goal you just have to figure out how to trim it down to to the most efficient way your deck can handle basically and a lot of that too you know it's edh cards are often just generically powerful enough to warrant inclusion in almost every deck where to sum up kind of what we were saying in PDH card evaluation is more based off the synergy of your right. deck. I think basically. that's a pretty accurate assessment. Cards like Psychic are just good enough to go into everything. Capsize is as close as we get mm-hmm. and it's only really powerful if you're going to play these, these grindy long big mana games. Like your deck has to be able to support the Capsize. Yeah, exactly. And I think it pretty pretty substantial step down from that next we have like echoing truth yeah yeah (laughs) which doesn't work so well in a singleton format Uh, i've actually seen like people are really coming on to echoing truth in the competitive scene because of the partly because there are some decks that will mass produce a lot of the same token and echoing truth will wipe out all those tokens okay partly because it can be if two of your opponents have bonders on this you can mark both of the bonders ornaments and then play yours. Ah, yep. Like, I think this is the play. I don't know. I, I, I don't have it in my competitive bets yet. But I, I hear people talking about it. Well, and two, you know, with, with, with treasure tokens being slightly uh, ubiquitous and pauper yeah, now, you know, yeah. Echoing Truth hits all those two. Yep. Now, they're not everywhere. We don't make, right. you know, 10 of them every turn or whatever, but they are starting to creep for, their for way. Better. Anyway. Yeah, for better or for worse. They're still fun. So, at this point, is there, is there more there? Oh. Okay. Nope that that was it. Uh, with all of that said, we're, we're we're done making fun of how terrible EDH is for now, for a few minutes. Um, <laughs> for just yeah, just, just for, for a minute or two. The thing that I want to move us towards instead is the idea of synergy. The idea that if you're going to evaluate whether or not a card is good, you can't do it in a vacuum. 
You have to do it in the context of what your deck is trying to do and what else your deck is already doing. Yeah, 100%. I think that's one of the defining features of PDH, you know, is that with an uncommon commander and 99 commons, it's often the case that your commander is the most powerful card. I mean, I would say most decks that I build, that's the case. Most decks that I see, that's the case. So it's definitely going to be the most powerful card you have access to. So those are going to be generally what your deck is focused on doing. It's going to be the function or the keyword or the mechanic or whatever that your whole deck performs off of, basically. I agree. I, I, uh, I said you were done making fun of EDH. I lied. I'm right back to it. Um, <laughs> I lied. So, so it was about a minute. I'm, I'm contrasting this your commander is central to your deck's function idea of EDH to some of the old EDH decks that my, my mm-hmm. old friends used to build and play. Like one of them had a Rashmi deck that was just blue-green good cards. One okay. of them had a Sigarda deck that was just green-white good cards. One of them had Silengard, the Dragonlord, that like is a control magic, and just black mm-hmm. blue good cards. Like there was no overarching theme here. It was just like Psychrip is a good card, Rise of the Dark Elves is a good card. I'll play with yeah. the good cards. Like I can produce blue mana. I can produce black <laughs> mana. These are good cards. Yeah, that was that was all the thought that went into these decks. Um yep. in contrast, I have eighty PDH decks. I've, I've counted them, up to eighty of them now. Exactly nice. zero of those decks are just these are the good cards in the card. Every single one of my decks right. is super focused on the themes and the directions that are provided by the command. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that earlier today, and I, I think I stumbled across back-to-back decks of yours on Moxfield. It was a Mardu deck and a Sultai deck, and I got there because I was thinking, what if I just picked a generic commander whose color identification is Mardu, and I just tried to build a Mardu, like like you were saying, a Mardu good stuff pile. And I've tried to do it before with other colors, and it just... In PDH, it is a lot harder yeah. than it sounds. Like when you're looking at just quote unquote good stuff cards, you you run out of them with yeah. like thirty slots I... left, <laughs> and then you just start yeah. kind of scraping around yeah. to fill the void. You, you could probably get close with like Sultai, if uh, if you're using the Sultai Soothsayer, because yeah. it's just like the the cards effect is like dig for answers, and if you're in black and blue and green, like you can just pack True. It right. Yep. Flicker effects, so you can use the Sultai more to do more answers, and then like a lot of just removal answers and good stuff. Like, it doesn't give you a clear way to win the game. No, it's just a pile yeah. of cards that are good at what they do. That's not even necessarily saying they work yep. well together. They're just good. <laughs> so, but yeah, I've noticed that with a lot of the decks you make, they're very, very thematic, and I, I do like that a lot. Uh, it's, it's one of the consequences of having eighty. Like, the, if, <laughs> if your decks are getting closer to that, like. This is like these these thirty cards fit the theme, and these thirty cards are just format staples that I put in all my decks. Then, like all eighty of your decks are like just pretty over- much the same. Yeah, they overlap too much, and like there's no meaningful distinction. So, like personally, I have leaned away from the idea of staples entirely in my deck building. But okay. like even without that, like I still think as a format, this is much less staple. I actually looked through, like, in preparing for this episode, I looked through a couple of my decks, and I was mm-hmm. like, what are what are a few cards that are in several of my decks that, like, if someone was just looking at statistics, of, like, how often does this card appear? They might think, oh, that mm-hmm. might be a staple. And I came up with stuff like Rain Gorgers and Smell Fear and Gleam of Resistance. <laughs> so, like, we should talk about this. Yeah, and that's not like, you know, those aren't, 
PDH staples. Like I had to look up two of them because I completely forgot what they're they did. Not, <laughs> I, I almost said they're not common cards. They are common cards. They are not. What's the word? Well represented. Sure. Yep. Some Let's synonym for common isn't also a rarity. Yeah, brain gorgers is like it's an incredible card in a madness deck. It's a garbage card anywhere else. Right, in a very yeah. specific like, archetype. Same with smell fear and green resistance. Yeah, like smell fear. If your deck doesn't care about counters, it's probably unplayable. Yes. But in a deck like that, so, it's an excellent yeah, card. If you're doing the counters, it's that and a fight spell. If you're not doing the counters, it's just a bad fight spell. Right. Right, same kind of with Gleam of Resistance. You know, it's great if you care about untapping your creatures. <laughs> Otherwise, why even have it in your deck sort of thing? It's not that good. It feels weird that untapping my creatures is a theme that has happened in a few of my decks. But Gleam of Resistance <laughs> is one of these cards where, like, the first time I put it in a deck, I was like, okay, so, like, I only need to buy the one because this card is garbage literally in every other situation. And I just bought one copy of it. And now I'm like, right. it's in, like, four of my decks now. And I'm like, how does this keep happening? <laughs> How does it keep happening? Now i got to borrow from other <laughs> decks? Yeah, I've been there before. So the, the TLDR of this is that I don't think that... I think the list of PDH staples is very small and very conditional. There's there's not really cards that you look at and you say, this card is literally good in every. That said, right. there are a couple cards that come close to that, and you should mention some of them. Yeah, I think every color slash artifact has a handful of them. Just like any format, any... Anything that has to do with Magic the Gathering. There, there are definitely yeah. semi-staples or excellent cards within yeah. each color. So, like, your deck is going to have a theme yeah, that it... wants to do something very specific. But also, as it does that specific thing, it is going to want to get mana, draw cards, and answer threats. So, like, yeah. the, the cards that show up as staples are, like, usually that collection. Of... Right, they, they usually fill one of those three requirements we, we don't have the luxury of just putting in fluff for the most part unless it's just a, a pet card or something silly like that but yeah like we've already mentioned before earlier in the show like arcane signet and bonders ornament uh we, i think in that category we could probably throw in like network terminal turn mm -hmm. network terminal sorry and honored heirloom uh those two i will admit that i don't play nearly enough with that's fair but I definitely think they are very, um, very valuable artifacts for yes, a lot of I decks. Agree. And even even at this, I think that Network Terminal and Honored Alien are really close to like staples. But like even they depend on the meta. Like Network Terminal requires a certain threshold of artifacts in your deck before it starts really functioning. And Honored Alien, sure is bad unless you're playing against graveyard decks. It's so powerful against yep. graveyard decks that I think it has a place in just about every deck, but like, if you're not going to run it, that's a perfectly defensible decision. It's not in all of my decks. So I've made that decision many times. Yeah, I mean, it could be one of those decks where, you know, if, if you literally have no idea what the next opponent's going to play and you need to cut, you need to open up a slot from your deck to add in this new card or what have you, I think Honored Heirloom yep. is, a, is a good card to take out, in my opinion. I would. I'd be like, well, I can't guarantee that there's going to be graveyard shenanigans, but I can guarantee that the card I want to put in is going to get use every single mm -hmm. game. So I, I did the same thing with Relic of Preventers. Uh, years ago when I started playing, I had it in basically all my decks. It was like, I'm going to catch someone's graveyard nonsense, or if I don't, like, <laughs> one of these days it sort of cycles right like if you're not going to catch someone's graveyard you can just cycle it but like yeah. you could 
You could draw a card. But like, even that, that I've it. been cutting from decks more lately, just because like mm-hmm. some of the decks I cut it from are because my deck is doing great great things. And I'm not going to end up my own great deck. Even though. But like some of them are, yeah. Some of the decks are just like yeah. That's a good point too. If someone like this deck is so just casual and silly that if someone rolls up with a good good deck, like I'm just going to let it happen. Like we'll just we'll just race, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> Yeah, we'll just see what happens. Yeah, but that was a good point, too. I didn't think about the fact that regardless of the deck I'm trying to brew or the deck that I want to build next, it almost always has a, has a non-zero percentage of cards that actually care about my own graveyard. Yeah. Bad. And I always, and I'll never, I'll never draw the Relic or the Honored Heirloom until I need my own graveyard for something. Yeah. So that's just how it goes. So, yeah, those are just a handful of the artifacts. We didn't want to get into like all the different color pair signets and the clue stones and all that sort of stuff. I think the signets are pretty close to staple mana rocks, I guess you could call mm-hmm. it. I don't really consider like the key runes and the clue stones to be staples. Yeah. They're just they're okay if you need them. I like them. I like to play them. I just think they're a cool card, but I would never consider them like a staple. I used to consider the lockets very staple-ish because I, I had locket. That's the other I one I was trying to think of. In my decks, with three mana rocks that could draw the cards in the hand. And like these days, I've replaced pretty much all of them with bondage on it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But yeah, we got. Um, if we want to move into the colors, uh, white staples look mostly. The role of white is mostly going to be removal and protection. Things like Oblivion Ring, uh, Journey to Nowhere, maybe Benevolent Blessings, an excellent newer card. And then you got your go-wide decks or go-wide you know, creatures like Spirited Companion that and the other ETB draw creatures that we've had. Like I want to say two to five of them in the last year, year and a half. And, and they, they're all seeing play like in 60 card constructed and PDH. Like they're just they're everywhere because white has never had that before. So they're just they're kind of going lot, ham at the moment. Which is very exciting. Yeah, it is. It is really cool. They had we had the yeah. priest of ancient lore, I believe it was, and then like within the same standard rotation, they yeah. printed the inspiring <laughs> yeah. year, which was just strictly better. <laughs> yeah, like instant power creep. Eight months later, that was wild. And like we, we had the one that reduces its own cost based on attackers. Now we oh, have one yeah. that's just yep. a two two. Yeah. Yep. And then we got with the downshifts we got from double masters. Oh, is there another one? Even better. There was, uh, we got like Militia Bugler and. Oh, yeah, the Bugler. Yeah, the Bugler. I completely forgot about that guy. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I'm not, I'm still not, I've never played with him before. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with him, but I can, I I can recognize that it's a very good card. Yeah, for sure. So. I'm going to slide us on in blue. The closest thing we have to staples in blue are, uh, Treasure Cruise, Detaxing Probe, Counter Spell, and Arcane Denial. Cruise and Probe, or Cruise is the most powerful draw spell we have. We were talking about wheels earlier. Cruise is as close as we get to a wheel. Uh, it's a late game with really good hand. Yeah. Kind of thing. Probe is just free. It's not bad. Yep. And yeah, it's just bad. free value. <laughs> Counterspell and Arcane are just the two most powerful counter magic we have, so they're just great universal answers. Yeah, and I'd, be, I'd almost be willing to say that Arcane is a little stronger than OG Counterspell just because it's easier to cast? Is that something you would agree with, or how do you feel about those two versus each other? I think Arcane Denial is the better card. Okay. Partly because it's easier to cast, yes. So it goes into two-color decks much more easily. But also partly because it draws you a card. 
Yeah, it does replace yeah. itself. Like, if you, if you want to think about the card draw as kind of like, if, if the card draw were on even footing, you drawing a card would be balanced by each of your three opponents. Mm-hmm. And this is giving them one card less than that in total, while still giving you a card. So, like, I think that the card draw in Arcade Denial is a huge point in its favor. It's a hard counterspell, two mana, it replaces itself. I don't care what else it does. It's just the best counterspell in the format. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, and it's so funny when you, you know, I know we're talking about PDH versus EDH or whatever. It's so funny when you look at cards, 60 card popper versus PDH, like Arcane Denial sees play in exactly one deck in 60 card popper. And that's pretty much it. It goes into Turbo Fog and that's the only deck you'll see it played in. But in PDH, if you're running islands, yeah. it's probably in there somewhere. Yeah. It's just it's that good of a card. Way. But like. Other than Turbo Fog, you know, if you're playing any other 60-card popper deck, you don't right. want your opponents drawing two cards because it's 60 cards. You know, they're going to draw cool. that much closer to their answer or to their win con or what have you. Yes, it's a very mediocre counterspell in 1v1, but in multiplayer, in yeah, many yeah, of absolutely. my blue decks, it's the so, like, I'm just not interested in counter magic except for this one that replaces itself. And in casual games, I, I think of it as like an apology counterspell. It's like, you can't have that thing that was going to ruin my entire day, but you get to draw cards. So, like, don't feel bad. But here's some, yeah, yeah. here's some cards in exchange. But yeah, I think I'm the same way. Like, I may use, like, Lofty Denial or something like that in yeah. my Spirits deck, but that's just because it's more flavorful yeah, exactly. than anything, I think. But yeah, who to thunk it? Some of the blue staples are all really good card draw spells. <laughs> Shocking. Spoiler alert. And straight up counter spell. But Black's really no different. It actually, um, some of Black's most powerful things it can do in PDH is also card draw. Things like Knight's Whisper uh, that rocketed up in, in price a little while back because of actual EDH. Uh, but yeah, we got like Read the Bone, Sign in Blood, Crushing Disappointment's been one of my new favorites lately that I try to jam in every deck. And then, you know, we got so many, just as for all the Black draw spells we have, we have just as many, if not more, like murder effects or removal spells in Black. Uh, things like Snuff Out is probably the most powerful black removal spell almost ever printed at common. Uh, Victim of Night is a super powerful, often overlooked card. Obnixus's Cruelty is excellent. Uh, Feed the Serpent, Feed the Swarm, that sort of thing. Granted, they all have a significant drawback of some sort, usually at the cost of your own life, but what you're willing to destroy is generally generally outweighs that mm-hmm. quite a bit. And I'm a huge fan. Night's Whisper is probably one of my favorite black yeah. spells, period. I didn't know it had gone up in price. So that definitely goes in every day. I didn't know it had gone up. Mm-hmm. When was that? Yeah, I hadn't checked in a while. Um, I think it's gone down a little bit, but for a while, yeah, it's down to like the 2 to $3 oh. range. I want to say, where are we at? I want to say about a year, year and a half ago, each printing was pushing like 6 bucks. Hmm. I've been honestly avoiding it a little bit lately because... I feel like it's the generic version, and I feel like a lot of my decks are trying to do something, and there's like, because there's like 10 different versions of it, like you can find someone that does that, plus a little extra for your deck. In, in sure. Nadir, I like uh, Pointed Discussion, and the one that gives you a food token, whatever it's called. Forbidden, might be. Forbidden Fruit? The re- uh, I think that's the removal spell, right? It gives you a no, token. No, Baked of the Pie is the removal with the food token. Ba- that's, I mean, yeah, for, that's forbidden, what I was there's a There's a draw spell, but if, 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 if it was adamant, if you played it with three black as well. Um, so yeah, yeah. Like these things like in mill decks, I like the ones that you know you first, you know rights, and then of course it's atrocious experiment. So like, I've been kind of leaning away from that whisper lately, and I haven't had to buy like, a chunk of them to put in decks. So I didn't know that it would spike, but that's interesting. Yeah, I did. I happen to have a 
I don't know, I think I had four or six of them anyway, just from the sheer amount of like regular popper car or popper decks I built, 60 card decks I built. So I already had them. Um, it was just something that kind of like uh, deadly dispute. It was just something I was tracking for a while. Like, Hey, how annoying is this? Like, you know, why is this a $6 card that doesn't get reprinted hardly ever? Uh, but then they had that secret layer version and I think that may have knocked it down or it just fell out of favor with EDH players. I'm not really sure, but either way it's, it's down to just a couple bucks. Uh, the one you were thinking about was foreboding fruit. Foreboding. Yeah, I actually do not play this one for some reason. I think the three black. I, I always look at the adamant. The adamant cards throw me off, like because I want to spend all that mana, all that one color mana on them, and I just I feel like I'm never going to. Adamant is really well designed. You read the card and you're like, oh, that'll be easy, and then you're playing a game and you're like, this isn't easy. <laughs> Like, what have I done? Yeah, right. <laughs> it completely throws off your ability to like actually like evaluate. The yeah, yeah, but I did too. I liked yeah. that mechanic quite a bit. They had some creatures with it on there, some spells. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty fun. But no, that's one I totally forgot about. Yeah, still draw two, lose two life. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, my, my Nadir deck is mono black. I have it paired with another black partner, so like the item it's not a problem. And the token is great for Nadir, so it's it's really good for me in that deck. Yeah, there you go. I think the only. I think the only adamant cards I run are in, in the mono-colored mono PDH decks I have, so very defensive. shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm going to slide us on over to red. Okay. Yeah. So it, it was weird writing down this list of like red-ish staples because like my, my lizard brain was like Lightning Bolt, obviously. And then I thought about it and I was like, actually, I run Lightning Bolt in very few decks. Like, It seems like it's this, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the quintessential red card, but it's kind of not. PDH for for I think the same reason that Lotus Petal is not the quintessential mana ramp card. Like you need your cards to have a much bigger impact than just a three damage, and not always. Like it still gets played a lot. It's a solid card. Yeah, it's not still a very as, good card. It's just yeah, not not to that um, level. The cards that I that do show up in an enormous amount of my red decks are Reckless Impulse, Thrill of Possibility, Electric Revelation. The cards that just give you access to more cards. There's there's a big debate right. about what the words card advantage actually means here. So you could argue that these are or are not card advantage, and maybe they're card selection, virtual card advantage. Card selection, they're virtual card advantage, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, and not just the quote unquote or whatever you want to label it, card advantage with those three you just listed, but they also fit into they work well with other strategies Good too for or um, archetypes. Good for spell slinging. Yep. Very little. Yeah, it was funny. Oh, I was just gonna say that, that is funny that you said that about Lightning Bolt because it's it's a staple in every sixty card format that can play it that it's legal in. But you look at it in PDH sometimes yeah. and you're like, eh, it's only three damage, yeah. you know. In, in the sixty card, <laughs> sometimes that just doesn't cut format, it. You can run three of them and you only have to count. Or it doesn't feel like it'll cut it. Yeah, in PDH you only get one of them and you have to count to nine. Right, exactly. There's a Right. It's not quite the same math. It has a lot of values of instant speed removal spell for little guys. It's not it's not as ubiquitous as you as you'd expect Yeah, absolutely. Now when you're when you're digging with, with red spells and getting your advantage, whether it's actual or virtual, what, what do you feel about like a faithless looting in PDH? I actually really dislike faithless looting in this format. Uh I feel like I've had this conversation many, many times where I feel like someone is fairly new to PDH and they'll show up on a Discord and they'll show me a, a deck that they've designed to use this faithless leader. Or they'll play against me and they'll cast faithless mm -hmm. a couple times. 
And in my experience, they're always sort of surprised when they cast Faith and Sleeping. And afterwards, they have fewer cards. They're like, how did this, how did this spell that says draw two cards, like, take cards out of my hand? And, like, this, this card has been banned in, like, everything. Like, what happened here? Why is my hand smaller? Right. And, like, you have to realize that it's, it's banned in formats where you have access to a lot of madness or, like, hollow, or you can do graveyard shenanigans. Like, yeah, exactly. Know. And it's banned in it's formats where you can yeah. play four like, of them. It's not the card advantage powerhouse that you think it is in PDA. If, mm-hmm. if you're using the madness, if you're doing a graveyard strategy and you want to be putting cards into your graveyard so that you can use, use them from there later, like, great. It's a great card for you there. If you're doing just, like, a very simple, like, gruel beatdown deck, like, this will reduce the number of cards in your hand. <laughs> you will have less after you cast it than before you cast it. So. Yeah, the first time you cast it, I mean, you're technically down three cards. Yeah, yeah you lose three. And you you know, and then, this would be one of those, for the example I gave earlier, like the Mardu Good Stuff PDH deck. Like this would go in there, but it doesn't really do much. It's just a good card on its own, but not in a deck that just has good cards in it. Yes, it's a good card in the right context. Not, exactly. not building around that context, it does very well. Yeah, outside of that, I think that's a pretty decent handful of, you know, we're not calling these staples necessarily. They're just cards that, like, I know you do and I do as well. Like, when I'm looking at a deck or I want to tweak a deck I found online or I'm trying to brew one from scratch, these are sort of the cards I go mm-hmm. to first and foremost in, in whatever colors I decide to be in or whatever mechanic I decide to brew up or what have you. But, you know, a decent percentage of the time, they won't make the final cut. That's They're just sort of where I start. I I kind of do that backwards. Like when I start brewing with a deck, I'll I'll do database searches for whatever I think the theme or the major mechanic or the, the thing is. Like when I was building the Sivers deck, I I got I did a database search for all the black blue commons that had honor because I wanted Sivers to put all these guys in my graveyard so I could okay. honor them and then flipper them and just do weird shenanigans like that. So I right. started with the, the shenanigans, flippers, the honors, <laughs> right. uh, a couple encores, a couple uh, for escapes um and then after i had done all that Mm -hmm. how many how many spaces are still left in that like i'll fill those in with the whole multiverse from the serpent they're like face space fillers for the rest of the yeah after i've established the the major themes and mechanics yeah then that's where those extra slots like you were just saying that's where the quote-unquote good stuff pile you know comes from you know we can't just make a hundred cards and good stuff pile we got to make like 25 or 15 or 40 or whatever you have left after you've already established what your deck is about. sometimes there's no room left at all for those. Yeah. Like you were saying you, know, you, you start with those and sometimes yeah. they get cut but sometimes i just never get to them at all and they stay cut but with, with mayhem devil like mm-hmm. if you if you're doing this deck building strategy where you make a list of all the cards that could work well with your commander and then cut from there the mayhem devil list starts at about 300 cards and you have to get that down to like <laughs> six <laughs> so like uh yeah. yeah well i have i have not tried to brew mayhem devil yet i've looked at de- decks online like established lists but i haven't tried to brew it myself but i have noticed that like no matter what commander i pick whether it's a 2022 pushed uncommon that wizards just released or it's an uncommon from 15 years ago whenever i go through my bulk and i write down cards and i get them all like the actual cardboards in my hand 
I end up with almost exactly 135 cards like every single time I try to build a deck. No matter what the colors are, I have I have to cut 36 to 40 cards every single time. Never more than that, never less consistent. than that for some reason. That's good. Yeah, it's very consistent. It's very frustrating because they're all like, oh, I, I just like it so much. Yeah. But that's a whole like different episode. But yeah, lastly, um, we didn't mention a lot of direct damage or you know going to the face or anything like that for red, which red's known for. But in green... We're definitely going to talk about some of the stuff that green does very well, and it does very well in, in every format, especially PDH, because a lot of the stronger uh, like ramp spells, mana fixing spells, that sort of thing, were printed at, at common in green, because you know, mainly for like the limited environment and that sort of thing. But cards like Cultivate, Grow from the Ashes, you can throw mana dorks in there if you wanted to. And then we started getting, in the last couple of years, we started getting these stronger cards, like Llanowar Visionary, that's a mana dork that comes into play and you draw a card or like Cerule's pack mate who doesn't really have anything other than a huge body and you get to draw a card. So, you know, and I, we could spend another whole episode talking about awesome green ramp spells and utopia sprawls and abundant growth and that sort of thing. But I think that's generally, I know me personally, when I'm looking, when I'm building a, a deck with green in it, I'm not looking for any specific uh, ramp I'm just looking for ones that I think will fit what my deck's trying to do. How do you approach ramp in your green X decks? Uh, that's a really good question. So it depends on the deck. I have a couple decks that want to ramp by doing land auras and then untapping those lands. I have a couple decks that want to ramp with... Uh, there's a certain subset of these green fetch cards that get that, that don't say get basic lands. They say like get a forest or like get a plains. Yeah. Um, if I need fixing really bad, I'll use those set of cards, like uh, in, Into the North and Sky Shroud Claim and Three Visits. Yeah. Nature's Lore might be one of them as well. I'll use those cards with the yep. uh, the Snow Duels that have the different land types. Yeah. Yeah, from Call um, Time. If I just kind of want generic fixing, I'll do the Grow from the Ashes Cultivate. Those are just incredibly solid baseline cards. If I think I'm going to have a lot of creatures to sacrifice or stuff in the grave, a couple of my favorite old cards are Far Wanderings. It's really good with Threshold. Mm-hmm. And uh, Primal Growth. It's really good if you can sacrifice a creature. Yeah, so two, I guess the long and short of that is you don't really have staples yourself either for that. It's also more dependent on what your deck's trying to do. Like like you started that off with your land auras. I, I love those because they're auras and they're enchantments and whatever, but I think I the only deck I have them in is like my Seder Enchanter list. I don't just throw them in every deck even though they're awesome in that list yes yeah i, I use those in like questions yeah i i love them like they're mm-hmm. they're just pet cards because they are enchantments and stuff but they just it took me a while to understand that not every just because it's a decent green card doesn't mean it goes in every green deck or green based deck which is i think the overarching theme of this entire episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it probably could be but yeah just going through the whole thing in the show notes and kind of thinking about what we've been talking about and the listeners have been sitting through i think what really draws me to pdh and what really sort of like drew me in to begin with is I, I like the challenge that pdh presents as like a way to to get creative with my brews you know let my my johnny personality or whatever shine through or even with like tier decks i can tweak them a little bit there's room to play around with them you know we don't have wizards like printing pre-cons and and printing all these powerful cards that you have to play or you're gonna lose you know we don't have them telling us what to play the only thing we really have telling us what to play are the are the archetypes themselves yeah, I think that you said it perfect. The only thing I would like to add is that we have talked a little bit about so much of card quality being very dependent on the, your commander 
the directions that your commander is going. Mm-hmm. I'm worried that some people might be hearing this and thinking, it sounds like this format is very deterministic. Like, you pick the unearthed commander, you get all the unearthed cards. Oh, okay, that's a good point. And I want to say that it is definitely not deterministic. There is much more than any other format I've ever played. This is the format you can come to to just do something crazy, express yourself. You can find a commander that no one has ever built before. You can find a commander that people have built a dozen times. And you can find the 13th build of this deck that takes it in a new, weird direction. Right. <laughs> I have a Lagrella deck. Yeah, 100%. Well, Lagrella the Magpie, she flickers things when she enters. The really confusing one. I built a real deep Yeah, the real Lagrella confusing one. With every single energy card. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to like tuck the energy cards under Lagrella and flicker her so that they come back and I get more energy. And then I'll tuck a proliferate card and like, you can just do whatever you want, man. You can play Lagrella flicker, you can play Lagrella energy. Like, I'm sure there's other extremely cool Lagrella builds that I've never seen or even thought of. But this is far from deterministic. You can pick a direction, see where it takes. Yeah, and I, I think that's really well said too, because when you look at like social media and stuff and someone will say like a new card will get spoiled and Joe Bob will be like, Oh, that's going to go great in my, you know, Becky deck. Everybody knows what Becky does. Everybody knows 75% of the cards that are in Becky's deck or Becky, the commander and in that deck. But here we don't have that. Like, like you were just saying, Lagrella, like there could be 15 different builds of Lagrella. Like you, it's all a matter of, of what kind of style you want to put into it. What kind of deck you like to play you know, there's just not set decks for each yeah. commander. And it's like that for every, just about every uncommon creature we have access to. There's a couple of them where you're like, okay, if this is your commander, you have to be playing with a couple of these cards. Like, if you're building real set, yeah, you have to include all of the initiative cards. But there's... Right, because we don't have that many to begin with, so you might as well just use every single one of them. Right, there's exactly four initiative cards in real colors, so like this is not right. a huge imposition. <laughs> you can... You can handle putting the four cards in the Wilson deck and still be creative with whatever else. And that's just the commander and less than half a dozen initiative cards. There's still 93 more cards for you to do what you want to with. You know, mm-hmm. I looked at, I was actually, I'm actually building Wilson now, and I was looking at, I think I scrolled through like six or seven Wilson decks on Moxfield, and every one of them, I mean, they had the same kind of core package. A lot of the same creatures, same lands, obviously, but each one was just different enough that I wish I could like cram them all together because they were each one had their own little flavor, their own uh, spin on it, and it, it was just it was very eye opening, I guess. Because even though Rilsa is very like this is what I'm doing, and you want Death Touch, and you want to venture into dungeons, and you want to do this very specific thing, all the decks were were yeah. pretty different I, from one another. I focused mine very heavily on creatures that had tramps. So like, I think that bottle names. Not mm-hmm. bottle names, bottle golems. I think that bottle golems is a slam dunk in real Because once you finish that dungeon, she gives things five power, death touch, first strike, and mess. Like that plus trample right. means that you're having <laughs> a good time. Uh huh. You know, and I saw some builds that were like replace everything you just said about trample, but with lifelink. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's, that. you know, that's what they built their deck around, you know, and they would throw in like security bypass and they would have this nine nine swinging in by itself that connives with lifelink. Yeah, that's it was just yeah. Crazy. I never thought of that. Which is yeah, the point. Awesome. <laughs> There's so much space for right. for brewing. <laughs> you can follow your dreams. You can live your best life. You really can. I think that's an excellent way to put it. I think um, that might about wrap it up. You got anything else you want to add to the uh, to what we were talking about? Uh, I I tried to I tried to sum up the uh, show in like 
two words and I couldn't come up with a way what, to do it. What we were talking about. That's the perfect summary. Yeah. No, I have, I have nothing I want to add. I feel like I'm pretty talked out. Yeah, same here. I do want to thank everyone that tuned in this week, though. But in the meantime, if you want to get more Popper Commander talk or you have any questions about the formats or specific commanders or anything we talked about on this show, you can email us at thepdhpod at gmail.com. You can head on over to PDH's home base website or their Discord that you'll find on their website. You can hit me up on Twitter at popper underscore B, or um, you can hit up Liam at Popper Command. He's also got his giveaway going on until July 8th, which this I think this episode will release on July 8th, but I'm not sure what time of day his giveaway is. But he's giving away some borderless uh, command, not commander, I'm talking about commander all day, Double Masters 2 Bounce Land giveaways on Twitter. I think he's doing two or four of them or the whole set. I, I don't know. Either way, it's it's pretty sweet. Pretty sweet giveaway. Uh, but we'll put all the links down in the details of the episode. And then, um, Alcadron, where can the people find you if they want to bug you about Commanders? I'm Alcadron on Discord. I'm Alcadron on Reddit. Yep. And, and Moxfield, too. That's Mox. how I find some of your decks. And you do, I don't know. I, I, you said you have like 80 PDH, de- PDH decks. You probably have like five <laughs> times that on Moxfield because every time I put in a Commander's name on Moxfield, like you're in that list. Like you have I'm a deck very there. prolific on Moxfield. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, as episode five of the PDH pod comes to a close, first I want to thank MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, go ahead and brew a deck and then play some games, and we'll see you in about a week. Peace. Cheers. I brought pop text at the party. Party.